Have you lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. Good evening, everybody. Rabbi Mel is back with you. Um, I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy that you're listening. And uh, I've got a wonderful, wonderful guest, Nancy Weil. I'm going to um, tell you a little bit about her, but for those of you who, who don't read my intros to my guests, I'm going to read you a little bit, and then I'm going to read some of her bio, and then we're going to talk. But first, I'm going to say, hi, Nancy. How are you? Well, hi, Rabbi Mel and everyone listening. It's good to have you. It's good to have you. Oh, okay. thank you. So I wrote, when you lose someone you loved, your first thought is to cry, right? Makes sense. But my guest, Nancy Weil, believes and teaches that laughter, laughter, you listening people, laughter, also has a place in healing your pain. She has spent many years in the funeral business and the laughter business, and you will learn that she is correct. Laughter in the face of loss is important, not unnatural, and and it is helpful. Find out what she has to say. You may be surprised. While grief is expressed in other ways, in different ways for every person, having some tools to help you get through a difficult time can help ease the pain. Uh, Nancy Weil is a leading, wait a minute, let me get rid of this. Now I got this. Okay, now. Nancy is a leading authority on the relationship between humor and grief. Now, I have to tell you, just as a sidebar, when I first read about this, I said, this is the most ridiculous thing I ever heard in my whole life. But you'll hear it's not. Uh, But she is a leading authority as as well as effective tools for stress relief and is known for her energetic, which you'll hear she is, entertaining and content-rich programs. After becoming a certified laughter leader in 2002, and you're going to have to tell me what that means because I thought I was a certified laughter leader. Uh, through, through the World Laughter Tour. I never heard of that. That's going to be interesting. Nancy has taken her passion for this unique craft to businesses and organizations, individuals and groups throughout the state and the country. With a degree in business, Nancy understands her clients' needs. Leading the world's only laughter club held in a cemetery. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, we are. Nancy knows how to bring the benefits of laughter to any place. As a certified funeral celebrant, Nancy understands how humor can be used to aid the grieving process. So I want to welcome my new friend, and um, we're going to be seeing a lot of each other because she told me that she lives where I'm going to be living, which I'll talk about later on in the show because I'm moving. And so uh, we're going to be seeing some more of each other, I hope. That will be a good thing. Absolutely. So 
now. Okay. So, Nancy, um, first of all, it's such a pleasure to have you here on the show because this topic is is so interesting and so um, anti-rational, I'll say. So, tell me and tell us about how you got started, how you figured out that laughter and humor were part of the grief process. Now, before you do that, I will say that I, when I officiated funerals, like when you officiated funerals, we hear stories about the loved one who died, and and we get members of the family to tell stories. Some of these stories are sad, they make people cry, and some of them are joyful and they make people laugh and that's so I understand a little bit but you're the expert so talk a little bit about how you got involved in laughter and its connection with grief. Absolutely. You know you you think about it and you think there's it's oxymoronic. How can you say you're a grief expert and you're a laughter expert and and where does that start to make sense? And by the end of our time together, everybody listening is going to understand why I say when you feel the least like laughing is when you need to the most. It is incredibly healing for us. But to begin, how did I begin? How did I take this? I, I became a certified laughter leader through World Laughter Tour where we learn about the health benefits of laughter and how to run therapeutic laughter clubs. Some people may know the term laughter yoga or hasha yoga. And through Steve Wilson and World Laughter Tour, we actually take some of the psychological and emotional and physical benefits of laughter and we bring them into a process of a laughter club, like you heard me say that I was running at a cemetery. And so I had been doing that for a while, running groups. And when I began at the cemetery and began to run grief support programs, and we would mix laughter, and we would mix tears, and I realized that with the health benefits, which we'll go over, it made perfect sense to begin to open our doors at the cemetery to run a laughter club and welcome people who are grieving to come and laugh together. And it's not in relationship to jokes when we're doing a laughter club. It's just merely using the sound of laughter. <laughs> That's all. And as we do that, our brain doesn't completely differentiate and just says, hey, I'm laughing. And a whole host of wonderful benefits begin to unfold. Well, I'm laughing, which means I can laugh. I can laugh. All is not lost. Just because my husband or my father or, God forbid, my child died, I'm going to cry. but, But I can laugh, which is another way of saying the world goes on. Right. We talk about it as almost priming the pump because we're laughing for no reason because oftentimes that ability to see something funny, our brain might say, wow, that's funny, but we don't laugh out loud any longer. The grief is too deep. But in a laughter club, we're, we're just laughing for no reason and using the sound, and that begins to give you permission permission to laugh because oftentimes as you know rabbi when somebody is grieving and they laugh they've had a great day maybe they went out with their grandchildren and they laughed and what comes next guilt how can i laugh when my loved one has died 
And yet in the research I conducted, we asked a question. And the question was, my loved one would want me to laugh and be joyful again. 100% of the respondents said yes. So they know their loved one doesn't want them to suffer. Their loved one wants them to still enjoy life. They cannot get to that point because of the grief. And the laughter helps just for a little bit to feel a little bit better that day. You know, last week in the New York Times Sunday Magazine, I think it was the magazine or the opinion, there was a wonderful, moving article by a woman who knew she was dying, and she wrote an article called, uh, Would You Like to Marry My Husband? Mm-hmm. And she talked about all his good features, and she really wants him to be happy. That's the connection to what you just said, that that even after somebody has died, we know that they want us to be happy. They don't want us to die too. I always say that, you know, only one person died here, not two. Don't make it more. Uh, and and laughter helps. But I have a, a, a question that, that takes a step back. You got into the funeral business uh, a while ago. Did you do that for personal reasons to heal a loss in your own life? People ask me, how did, how did you get involved working at cemeteries and funeral homes? How did you become a grief expert? And I always say, God. That's my answer. It was very simply that I had been looking for a job, and a friend of mine who did not know that, I came home one day, and he had been over at the cemetery office and meeting with the director for something, and he had mentioned, oh, we're going to be looking for some staff. And I come home to a message on my voicemail, and he said, hey, the cemetery's looking for help, and I just think you'd be great. I don't know why, but I just thought of you. And when someone says, I don't know why, but I thought of you, pay attention. Yeah. And I went over, and I was hired, and I was there to do sales for the cemetery and customer service and things like that, and realized within months, people bring their grief back to the cemetery, and what are we doing to support and help them? And of course, the answer was very little. And I began to train and develop a program and ended up with the most comprehensive grief support program of any cemetery in the country, running all types of different programs. And I began to see where we could help our community because our programs were open to everyone in the community and we could help the community to heal. I always say when you're a member of a grief support group, it's a club that nobody wants to join because the price of admission is too high. Yeah, and yet they and, come together and they form right. a family of sorts, and they help and they each keep other. coming. They keep coming together because this is their new family. Yes, one of and understanding they, of a shared experience. Even though everyone's grief is different, and everyone is entitled to their grief, their pain. I always tell them, you cannot rank your pain and say, "Well, I feel better because their story's worse." Absolutely not. Doesn't work that way. You're entitled to your loss, your pain, no matter what. It's yours exactly. to process through. Exactly. And every, with laughter, every, if, yeah. if we think about laughter and where it brings us to, and we'll talk in a minute about the physical and the, the benefits of it, but they have actually found in research that when you cry from grief and when you're laughing so hard the tears are running down your face, those tears have a different chemical composition. Right. Your body knows how to release that stress. So if you want to laugh, laugh. If you want to cry, cry. Both are healing. 
and your body needs to release that stress. Otherwise, you're going to carry that grief on your shoulders for the rest of your life, and you're going to die before your time. Yes. So yes. we have to we have to find a way. My phrase is to is to let them um, lay them gently down, because otherwise the dead are still alive, and that can't be. We have to. I mean, our goal and our purpose is really to let the dead die. But it's so hard to do that because we want them to stick around. Um, and the way I, I tell my grief group is healing from grief does not mean we leave them behind. It means we take them with us in everything we do and who we become. Because they're always there, a part of us. We make their favorite recipe and we think of them. We teach it to the children or the grandchildren. Say, my grandmother taught me this. And they're present in such a sweet way. Yeah. When we're doing those actions, when we're thinking of them, but we're doing it in a way with peacefulness in our soul, with love in our hearts, and that's how we bring them with us. The reverse way that we bring them with them is, is I always, people tell me things like, I'll be in the supermarket, and I'll be in a fruits and vegetables aisle, and I'll see the lettuce. And as soon as I see the lettuce, immediately my mind goes back to a Passover Seder or a Christmas dinner, or something that was a family event, and it was a family event every year, and and now Papa's not here with us anymore. And I'll, uh, they tell me, uh, I start crying in the middle of lettuce. <laughs> and people give them a very strange look, and I said, well, first of all, you're entitled to cry whenever you need to cry. Second of all, don't worry about anybody else, because they're going to check out of the supermarket and life, just like you are. So you don't have anything to worry about. But it's true, we carry them with us. And we reintegrate them, I guess, is a good word. They're, I always like to say they only die physically. Right. But like you said, they never really die. I mean, you know, I, I mean, you know about the Jewish tradition, and, and during the Yisker service, I close my eyes, I bring up uh, pictures of my uh, late first wife and my um, 11 aunts and uncles, and I picture each one of them, which is not hard to do, as you know, and I say to them two things. One, I miss you and I love you, and the second thing is I'm doing very well, thank you. And that way, at least, you know, four or five times a year, at least I make the point. But you're right. We tell stories about Bubby all the time and what she gave us and what she taught us and what she, you know, made for us to eat at the Passover Seder or the Hanukkah dinner or the, or the Christmas Eve family dinner. Um, so, yeah. They want to hear their loved one's name. They want other people to, when I conduct a a funeral service, the last thing I say to people before they leave is in the days and weeks and months ahead, you're, you're going to think of this person. When you do, call each other, talk about them, Mm -hmm. remember that story. So in your case of your, your lettuce buying, when you get out, you call someone in the family and say, remember how much they loved the lettuce. Mm-hmm. It was such a salad eater, and I was thinking about them, and it made me so sad, and yet it was such a sweet memory as we remembered them. And you share and you keep them alive by saying their name and telling their story. 
And that's all we can do. And it's important because it means that they still live with us. Yes. Can't touch them, but you could see them, and you know that they're still there. That's why um, Jewish tradition frowns on cremation, because when you bury somebody in a cemetery, you've got a place to go to be with them, because that's where their spirit is, whatever that means. When you cremate somebody and you, you know, you sprinkle the ashes on the waters, you got no place to go. There's not a similar place where you can go and heal, like a cemetery. Right, and the Catholic the Catholic Church also came out with that same directive that if there would be cremation taking place, which is permitted in the Catholic religion, but there is to be a final disposition as if it were a full body. And Rabbi Mel, we could do a whole show on cremation and and its impacts on grief, and there are positives as well. I could tell you stories from having been in the industry of where it was a uh, good decision for that family and healing for them and other stories as well. But really what it is is that I had a friend whose husband died, and everybody would say, you know he's still with you. You know he's still with you. And she finally said to me one day, if one more person says that to me, I'm going to scream. She said, because I know he's still with me, but he's not bringing me my coffee in the morning. (laughs) I thought that summed up grief so beautifully. That's right. Or, Mama don't call me at 3 o'clock every Sunday afternoon anymore. Yes. Yes. And and when the first Sunday afternoon, 3 o'clock comes, you automatically expect that Mama's going to be on that phone, but it don't ring. Right. And And how do we adjust? And we do. We do adapt. We do find that way. Sure we do. The resiliency of the human spirit is amazing that we do, but we have to develop those coping mechanisms. So we have a plan in place before Sunday at 3 shows up, or we walk in the door and their chair is empty, or Jeopardy comes on and they're not there watching it with you. And so we are able and capable, and these are some of the tools when I run my grief support groups that I teach them to have those plans and those strategies in place. I want to talk about that. we got to take a break. We will be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. 
That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hello, everybody. Rabbi Mal back with you. Uh, my guest this evening is Nancy Weil. She is a laughter specialist, and she's here to talk about the connections between laughter and grief. And, and I want to talk about, you mentioned before about the health benefits of laughter. Would you like to say something about that? I absolutely would. You know, we talk about laughter is the best medicine, and I'm saying if you're grieving, laugh, and it makes no sense until you begin to understand what happens physiologically in the body when we laugh. So among the many benefits when we laugh, and it can be laughing for no reason, just producing that sound, that burst of air that repeats, (laughs) no jokes being told, not watching a funny video, just using that sound, our brain recognizes and says that's laughter. And immediately it begins to drop the stress, the cortisol, the stress hormone begins to drop. It boosts the immune system. And we begin to be, have a stronger immune system. T-cell counts and other components rise. It drops the blood pressure. It rises during laughter and it settles down a little bit lower than it had been, just as if we were exercising. It wakes up the brain. We begin to use what's called whole brain thinking. So the left side and the right side of the brain all begin to cooperate and work together, which then helps to enhance memory, memory retention. We also breathe. We breathe deeply into the lungs, which also helps that you'll have fewer upper respiratory illnesses if you laugh regularly because it helps. The circulation begins to to increase as as the um, circulatory system begins to relax and the blood can flow more freely. It helps with pain reduction. If you have arthritis and other conditions, they find that your need for pain medication sometimes actually decreases from laughter. So you begin to look at this and say, "Well, well, how does that relate to grief? Well, what do we know when we're grieving? What we know is this. Our immune system depletes so often we've been the caretaker and we've held it together to take care of that loved one. And then after they're buried, we get sick because we finally just release and we begin to get sick. So this boosts the immune system. We know the stress levels are very high. It helps to level out the emotions. Those emotional swings begin to level out. We know that our memory, we we live by post-it notes. We go to the store for three things and remember one of them because our brain is not. It just slows down and we just cannot recall. And with laughter, it helps with that. And I think with grief, even more so, is it anchors us in the present moment. The present moment now. When you are laughing, you are here now. And grief is a process of looking back with regret, looking forward in fear, 
And the only place we begin to feel any relief is in the present moment now. And so when we just sit and go, (laughs) we can begin to have all of those benefits. And it starts to make sense, doesn't it? Why I say when you feel the least like laughing, you need to the most. It, it makes wonderful sense and perfect sense, and I agree with everything you say. I also think that when you're, when you're laughing, um, you're sort of beginning to, again, focus on yourself using your father or your mother or whoever died as an aid, but you are once again beginning to focus on yourself in a positive way. You could have been taking care of a, a parent with Alzheimer's for the last three years. And so you had no time to deal with your own needs because you were all the, you were over there all the time trying to do stuff that you couldn't do but you wanted to do and trying to take care of them. Uh, you didn't put them in a, in a nursing home. You kept them at home. And there's lots of problems with that, as we both know. So when you laugh, to me, it's a sign of rebirth in a sense that, yeah, I'm still here. You know, like you said, you look back with regret and you look forward with fear. And that's what we call mourning, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's also, it's such a healthy coping mechanism and that release, that emotional release when we feel overwhelmed and we laugh, we just have a release that happens. Um, in my research, we'd ask questions of how people used humor to cope. And there was a story of someone who went to visit the cemetery with her brother the very first time that they were going to visit since their mom had been buried. And they were really um, anxious about going. They were, they were troubled by it. And they get to the cemetery together, and they look, and the grave had settled, and there was a crack in, in the earth there where, where the dirt had settled. And she looked at her brother, and she says, I, I think Mom's trying to get out to get a cigarette. <laughs> and they laughed and laughed at that thought. Right. And it right. released the tension of that moment of being there. Right, right. You know, and I'm... conversely, we can use humor in a way that is not helpful. And I think we really should point that out as well. And anyone who has uh, lost a loved one can relate to the fact that people have tried to cheer them up by saying something and it really missed the mark. It was just not, not helpful. And we have to be very careful of how we use it, of how we use it when we're trying to talk to someone. It's the difference between a joke and... serious, real laughter. A joke has no point except the joke. But but the stories that you and I have told already, you know, are real laughter. Now, uh, somebody taught me that lesson when, and my listeners have heard this story before. I did a funeral. I was in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania for two or three years writing a book and I had a congregation And Cy was in his 90s, and he was dying, and everybody knew it, and his wife was being adamant that he was not going to leave her. She would not allow it. Well, that's the way she was in life. So, I mean, she was always like that. So, and he took wonderful care of her, and she, you know, she, she nudged him to death. I mean, she was unbelievable. Anyway, 
he's in the hospice, um, and everybody knows that he's going to die today. So I go over there, and the whole family is standing around, and I said, okay, I want you to uh, hold hands, and we're going to do the final uh, vidui, the final prayers, the confession that, that we have. Catholics think they invented this, but they did not. We've had a vidui final confession for hundreds of years. Anyway, so I say the words, and they end with Shema Yisrael, which my Jewish listeners will know immediately what that is. And then he takes his final breath. She can't accept it, so she starts to beat on his chest. It's like she wants to do CPR, but she doesn't know what she's doing. She wants to restart his heart. She cannot stand the notion that he is dying. So she starts beating him up. Sigh, come back to me. Sigh, I need you. Sigh. Well, so I figured, okay, Rabbi, you better do something rabbinic because otherwise she may have a stroke. So I went up to her and I said, look, I, t I held her, I hugged her. I said, it's going to be okay because he's going to be back with his parents. Now, I don't believe that, but I was hoping she did. And she looks at me, she looks up at me, and she said, Rabbi, Sai couldn't stand his parents. Everybody in that room just dissolved in laughter. And it was a wonderful laughter because, as you said, it relieved the stress. It, it let them know that it was okay to laugh. The only problem was all the nurses, you know, in the hall were hearing all this laughter coming from the room of a guy who had just died. And they're wondering, what is that crazy rabbi doing to them that he just died and they're laughing? But I, she taught me that lesson mightily. The bigger point is, is you didn't try to get them to laugh. You allowed right. them to be in the space where they were at. You offered words that you thought would bring comfort and wisdom. From that came her reaction, which then created the memory and the laughter. Yeah. It's not your job at that moment to say, oh, they're very sad because their loved one just died. Let me try to cheer them up. I'll tell them a joke. Right. It was so genuine, and that's why mm -hmm. it helped. That's and why that's it helped. We have to... Abide by people wherever they are at. If they are in a place where it is tears, for us not to turn away from that, to anyone right. listening, to just sit present as they cry can be incredibly healing. If they are laughing as they just did in that room and remembering something, to sit with them in that way as well. But it's not our job to try to force it, you know, that if they're sad, we got to cheer them up. No, we don't. Right. Well, first of all, it's 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 unholy to to do that, and second, we don't have the power to cheer them up unless we tell stupid jokes that we think are going to cheer them up, but they really don't. And then everybody's embarrassed, try. you know. <laughs> and that's why I make the comment: people do try, and it's like, of course, it's terrible. There, there's a place for humor. I'm the laughter lady. I am all about laughter and humor, but there is a place for it. A time. For it, And so when we talk about laughter, 
it's a sound. It's a physiological response or it's a burst of air. We understand laughter anywhere in the world. Wherever you travel, you smile, you laugh, they understand it. Humor is subjective. <coughs> and what I find funny, what you find funny, what a family maybe finds funny is different for everyone. That's why jokes are so often inappropriate because the humor is misunderstood because we might find it funny, but that person does not. And so we have to tread carefully when we're talking about humor and how it is applied and and in doing it in a healthy way. And I encourage everybody listening to create what I call an HPOA, a humor plan of action. And what you do is you list things that you know if you do will get you to laugh. So it might be a TV show you like to watch or laughing babies on YouTube. We love watching those videos. You know, spending time with a positive friend or being with my dog. Whatever those things are, being with grandchildren. You make the list. And on those moments when you want to feel better and you want to take a little humor break, a little laughter break, you look at your list and say, what can I do right now? And you do something from that list. I think it was 30 years ago when Norman Cousins uh, was dying and he spent his time in the hospital watching humorous television programs. And he, and he spent all day laughing, and he loved it, and it helped him live longer. It did. He found that if he, he, he was um, told that he had a condition that one in 500 people survive, and he thought, well, I better be the one because 499 didn't do so good. And he thought to himself, if we know that negative emotions can create illness, why can't positive emotions create health? That was a very simple theory. And so he began to surround himself. His friends would bring in Alan Funt candid camera. They would read funny stories to him, all of his upliftment throughout the day. And he found that if he spent 20 minutes laughing, he could sleep for two hours without pain. Yeah. Now, when you refer back to what we talked about with the, with the health benefits, the research has now shown. We know he was reducing his pain, reducing his stress, boosting his immune system. He healed. He healed. Right. And people said, what was that about the laughter as part of, he didn't just go home and laugh and cure himself, but as part of his treatment plan, I always say, can't hurt might help. Can't hurt might help. So unless you've just had abdominal surgery, not a good time for laughing, but otherwise, to surround yourself in that positive emotion to help to support ourselves. And he yeah. really did start a lot of the interest and in research that has come since then. And that led up to people like you who become laughter leaders, certified laughter leaders. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you have and, to and do to become... For those who might be interested, by the way, and they say, how do I certify? This sounds interesting. If yeah. they go to worldlaughtertour.com, Steve Wilson trains all over the country. And he runs three-day workshops, and it's not only a, a short workshop to become certified of how to run laughter clubs, it is really a community where we are in touch with each other and, and continuing education and, and supplying information to one another. We have advanced trainings every November where we gather and look even more deeply into the research. And so it's an amazing, amazing group. And so anybody who's listening thinking, well, I'm buying this idea. I'd like to spread more laughter into the world. I would encourage them to go and take a look at that site and become a part of our laughter family. What's the website again? It's world, W-O-R-L-D, laughter, tour, T-O-U-R, 
dot com. Okay. I'm going to look for. I'm going to look at it because you know where I'm moving to, and you know who lives there. Absolutely. And, Unfortunately, and, he'll be training in Tampa next month, so he won't be moving here quite yet. But he'll be back. No, but but no. I'll get him. I mean, I'll you know I'll read him up. I'll read up on him, and I'll. So, um, and even even just reading a, a book, somebody reading Norman Cousins' book, or reading another book, or a humorous book, something yep. that helps them to stay in that positive energy, is a step everybody listening right now can take. I keep joke books, children's joke books, because they're non-toxic. They're silly, groaning kind of jokes sometimes, but they make you laugh. And I keep those around me too. You were um, well. Maybe I should. Maybe we should wait until after the break. But I saw a picture on your website of you as a clown, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm going to want to talk about that after the break, which we have about a minute left. Um, okay, so I have these questions that you suggested. And we have, we have, we're almost at the bottom. <laughs> um, oh, we have so much more to talk about than even I just know that. I know we do. <laughs> and my hope is that as people listen to this, they begin to take laughter seriously. You know, everyone laughs. Infants laugh all over the world. Deaf people laugh. It is wired into us. And the question is why? Why is this wired into us? And as we've answered that question already... It begins to make sense why we say laughter is the best medicine, right? A merry heart doeth good. Yeah. Like medicine. Here it is within us, the capability at any given time to choose laughter, whether it is authentic laughter in response to something or whether it is therapeutic laughter of laughing for no reason. It is available. And I always say put it in your spiritual toolbox. Put it there for when you need it and make it part of your every day routine to make sure you've gotten your daily quotient of laughter in. I think that's great. we got to take a break and um, we will be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. 
Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hello, everybody. Rabbi Mel back with you with my uh, guest, Nancy Weil, who is a grief and laughter specialist. She's a specialist in both, and she talks about how laughter, uh, not just humor, but laughter has a place. And she's done research. I mean, she really knows her stuff. And, and in about three or four minutes, She's going to tell you how to get a hold of her, and so you can read what she's what she's written. But I want to talk about what we talked about during the break, and that is you had mentioned that when we were talking about burial versus cremation, and you said there are some positives about each. Um, from my standpoint, as I said, when somebody's buried in the ground, the, the cemetery becomes a place of healing. And I have been with many people in, in different congregations um, where I have sent them to the cemetery to make peace with their mother. And I remember one guy in Stroudsburg who said to me, I want you to help me make peace with my mother. Now, he was already 78 years old. So I'm thinking, God, how must she's? I mean, how old, how long has this been going on? And he said, she's been dead for 25 years. Well, okay, fine. If I teach that there's no time limit on these things, then there's no time limit. So I, so she was buried in Brooklyn, uh, like uh, lots of other Jews are. And so I said, you have to go to the cemetery, and you have to um, spend some time with your mother. And you have to say things like, uh, I forgive you, I apologize to you, I remember when we had fun doing X, Y, Z, I will miss you and I love you. And then you say goodbye. And he said, you're crazy. I said, yeah, okay, that's true. I agree, but you have to do that because if you don't do that, you're never going to be able to uh, heal from her death. So I said, you have your daughter drive you to the cemetery and then leave you take your cell phone. You don't have to. You're not waiting for your daughter. This is between you and your mother, and that's what he did. So he did. She, the daughter, drove him to the cemetery and then drove away and went to Starbucks or wherever. And then when he was done, he called her and she came and picked him up. Then he came back to see me. So I said, "Well, how did it go?" He said, "You're a genius." I said, three weeks ago, you said I was an idiot. How did I turn from an idiot to a genius? He said, because I did everything you said, and now I don't hate my mother anymore. I love my mother. Well, that's why I stay in a rabbit for things like that when they happen. So I said, let me ask you, how long were you there at the cemetery? And he says, four hours. 
I said, four hours? He said, and it seemed like 10 minutes. Yeah. Now, Having so this... that space to go. That's right. Now... It's important, and it's not just sometimes for the family. Sometimes it's their friends that want to come. Right. Working at yeah. the cemetery, I would see how often a friend would be in visiting from out of town and say, I want to go visit the grave. Can you tell me where my friend is buried? I grew right. up with him in the neighborhood, and I heard he had passed away, and I'm in town. I want to go see it. Right. And so people don't always realize how many people will go. Or a hundred years later doing genealogy, wanting to go and connect with that family member. Now tell so me, we can do a whole show and I hope you'll have me back and we'll, we'll really delve into this a little bit of as we make those decisions. But I agree with you that in most circumstances to have that final place for people to be able to come to, whether it is from cremation or full burial, is important. It's important to, to have that space and to think about that and what that means. Um, I have had instances where somebody has come over from another country, and they might be cremated because they want part of their remains placed here in the United States with family, and, and the rest they want a family member to take home to their family plot that maybe goes back hundreds of years in another country. I don't mind family plots for cremains because the, the reasoning is similar. If you're in the cemetery, yeah. there's a place to go. So, so where would it be where I would say to you, let's talk about where it might be appropriate. Um, working here in, at Veterans Funeral Care in Clearwater, we have had instances where someone who has served in the Navy has desired to be cremated, and the Navy actually will take them out on a ship, and he will be buried at sea by his fellow veterans mm. in the Navy. Right. It is astounding, and it is dignified, and it is meaningful, and the family, you know, is in agreement for that, but their wishes were to have that happen. So there are going to be times where maybe it makes sense for the family to allow last, their loved one. Last week, I had a guest on, and we talked about a bereavement cruise that's going to take place next February. And I'm going to be mm-hmm. teaching along with seven or other, or eight or other, nine, ten, I don't know, teachers. And hopefully there'll be 80 to 100 people, grievers, mourners, and there will be classes and there will be discussions and there'll be private grief sessions. And one of the things that I am told we do is sometimes we take ashes and we throw them over the side because that's what the family wanted to do. It, it doesn't mean anything to me, but that's not the point. I'm not the point here. The family's the point. And I understand what you said about a Navy guy who wanted to be buried, you know, wanted his ashes in the water. That's where he felt that was his home. Yeah. I understand that. But at the same time, there's no place to go to heal. Let's say his, um, you know, wife and he had problems. So where's she going to go heal? She's not going to take a cruise because she's not going right. to heal on a cruise. But she, so that's what I'm saying. I understand. Yeah, Rabbi, when, when we go to a Jewish cemetery, and I know you've seen this because I, I have, and yeah. you see a monument with the yeah. name of the deceased that's buried there. Right. And underneath his name, you begin to see loved ones listed who died in the Holocaust and right. have no grave. There right. is nowhere to go. Right. And so that family has brought them in a way in a memorial onto the monument of their descendant. 
Uh, we got a guy who was buried last year who was a Holocaust survivor, and before he died, his wife died and his two sons died, and he had 50 members of his family who died in the Holocaust. And, of course, he didn't know when because you don't, right. you don't know these things. And so what he did was to put all their names on his monument. No, he built a separate monument before he died. He built a separate monument at the cemetery. And um, every Shabbat before uh, the first Shabbat of every secular year in January, I would read the Yortzeit list uh, for my non-Jews. That's the list of all the people who died um, on this date in years past. So I would read the Yortzeit list and I would read 50 names who were all had the same last name and they were all killed in the Holocaust. It was our tribute to them. And yes, you're right. When you go to the so If we least, think about it, what are we yep. really saying? We just want to know we're remembered. We yes. want our loved ones to be remembered. We want ourselves, when we should die, to leave a legacy of love, of caring, of bringing goodness to the world, of leaving people something to think about, something to laugh about, something to remember. We are building currently that legacy. And so we know there's that human need that runs so deep that in whatever way our loved ones are remembered, that we know that we will be remembered, hopefully fondly by many people, and we get that by showing compassion, showing kindness, doing good, helping others. That's where we leave that and we create that. And that's in every action that we take. And so really what grief is about is not only processing what does this world now that I didn't ask for look like now that my loved one's no longer in it, but the other part of it is, and how will I remember that person that I loved so much? Okay, let me ask you a somewhat personal question. What do you think happens to the soul after the body is either is, is buried or cremated? What do you think happens. What do you well, believe in heaven and hell? my opinion, and I will gladly share it. Uh, of none of us really know. There's no, no uh, scientific research we can do on this. This is where faith comes in. I always say faith is being comfortable in the not knowing, and so I'm very comfortable sharing this. I, I believe that the soul continues on. I believe that the soul goes back and joins back with God, with the universe, with all that there is. I, I believe that there is an aspect of that soul that remains. I teach a whole class on that after-death connections that continue where people will have those odd circumstances and say, I wonder if that was them leaving me a little sign. And we talk about that. And so often when we talk about it, and that's a whole other show we can do as well, but when we talk about it, when we talk about that, I say, how did it make you feel? I felt so comforted. I remembered in their dream. It was like they were with me. I remembered. And I say, then own the feeling. You don't need the proof, just own the feeling. Right. And so when we see so many people having those experiences in one way or another, that song that comes on the radio, you know, that, that butterfly that comes by just at that moment when they were thinking of their loved one, in whatever ways those signs come, as a little, I call it a hello from heaven, that little moment that they say, we're okay, we're okay. And it brings a comfort, and that's what matters is how it makes you feel. 
And if it brings you comfort, then own the experience. Nancy, we have about three minutes left. And in that time, I need to say goodbye for for a bit. But I want you to, um, if you could give someone one tip for hanging on just one more day in a grief journey, what would it be? Breathe. Sometimes all we can do is breathe. Sometimes we're breathing for one minute to just hold on. Sometimes we're just focusing on that next breath. Sometimes it's that we just find that little moment of laughter, that little respite that that brings. Sometimes it's connecting with another person. Joining a grief group can be incredibly positive. There are so many tools of what can be done because as much as grief is a journey, there are things that we can do to help us through it. And that is the truth. All right. Thank you. I want, um, if, if people need to reach you, how can we do that? Absolutely. So my website is the, T-H-E, last, like ha, 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 L-A-U-G-H, academy, A-C-A-D-E-M-Y dot com, the last academy dot com. Uh, my phone number is 716-908-9154, and people can certainly reach out to me, and I can share with them some tools on the website. You'll see I've recorded some um, little talks about different things with the grief journey, a booklet available on there that people can download, a brief exploration of grief that's available at no charge on the website. And as I always say, once people meet me, I don't leave you, but I don't stalk you. So if they'd like to reach me, they can just uh, give me a call, send me an email through the website. I promise to be available. Okay. Nancy Weil, I want to thank you for being my guest, and we will do this again, I promise. Maybe from your living room, I don't know, because we're going to be neighbors, which leads me to my final um, comments, and that is I'm. this is my last show for a while, for maybe five months. I am moving from Colorado Springs to the villages in Florida. I will be the first rabbi um, at the uh, at Temple Shalom of Central Florida, and uh, and I'm very pleased and I'm very excited. And you know, you have to be 55 to get into the villages. So my being a grief guy and a rabbi is is going to be very important. I've already said to myself I'm going to start a death cafe. And we've had guests who have talked about death cafes. We already have a bereavement program in my synagogue. And I intend to get very, very involved. And uh, we'll see what happens. So you won't hear about, you won't hear from me, but all of my shows are archived on voiceamerica.com. There are lots of different channels. This is the empowerment channel. So... If you want to go back and listen to me over the last year, listen to a show or two or three, I invite you to do that. I will be back sometime around September or October. I'm not sure yet. But I want to thank you for supporting me over this past year. And I promise that I will be back and we will talk some more. So once again, thanks for listening. I've enjoyed being your grief rabbi, and I will see you in the fall. Goodbye, everybody.
Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week.